So last week, Sarah was talking about the call of Abram, or Abraham seemed to be, um, and his response to God calling him out of his comfort zone and into something new, and mentioning the courage that it took for him to you know, abandon everything he knew, his hometown, where he grew up, and go to this place that he didn't even know exactly where God was calling him to go. And he was trusting God when he said that I would bless you and I would give you kids, I would make you a great nation, I would make you a blessing to the world. So he's trusting these promises that seem pretty far off. And Abram, he was an old man, he wasn't even able to have kids and neither was his wife. So it's, it's a very out there promise that God's making to them. And we're going to look at a few more aspects of the life of Abram as we continue. Yeah, he's a foundational character for the, the history of many religions, but also the details in his life are still really very relevant for us today. There's a lot that we can learn from these stories, even though he lived thousands of years ago. And the lessons that God was teaching him and developing his character are the same for us today. Um, so I want to pick up the story in the middle of chapter 12. So, so last week we ended with, um, he, that he went towards the hills east of Bethel and pitched his tent with Bethel on the west and I on the east. There he built an altar to the Lord and called on the name of the Lord. Then Abram sent out and continued towards the Negev. So he's, he's made it to the land that God's called him to do, and, and he's built an altar and he's calling on the name of God. So, so it's at this point ending on, on a good note. You know, Things are looking good. He's gone where God has called him to. He's doing what he should. And then verse 10, as we continue, it probably jumps forward a bit. We don't know if that much time passed. It could have been the next day or it could have been you know, years later. We're not too sure on that. But it continues in verse 10 that there was a famine in the land and Abram went down to Egypt to live there for a while because the famine was so severe. So he's arrived in the land that God's called him to go to and he finds himself, you know, there's a famine there. This land can't even support him and his family. Quite a great sort of promise that God's saying, I'll give you this land, and you kind of, Egypt looks better, you know. It's not a great place to be. Um, and it's probably a bit disappointing, you know, God, you've called me into this wasteland and we can't even survive here. And the Bible doesn't specifically criticize Abram for going to Egypt, but it also doesn't specify that God instructed him to go there like it has previously. You know, maybe it's just a logical decision. You know, he's being wise by moving to Egypt. He's got people to feed, animals to feed, We've got to go where the food is. But some people do point out that he might be doubting God's plan and provision. So a question for you, do you think God would have let him starve if he stayed in the land that God called him to? Probably not. You hope not. You would hope not. I mean, I'm not one of these people that thinks God will always step in and protect us from things. You know, bad things do go wrong. I'm definitely not arguing that. But what we do read is God specifically called him to a place. And if he didn't tell him to leave that place, I would be very surprised if God called him there and said, I'm going to give your kids tenure into a great nation. And it, it seems odd that, that that would be at risk by following what God has told him to do. So, but regardless of that, even if he wasn't being disobedient by going to Egypt, the Bible doesn't speak well of his behaviour once he gets there. As he was about to enter Egypt, he said to his wife Sarai, I know what a beautiful woman you are. When the Egyptians see you, they will say, this is his wife. Then they will kill me, but let you live. Say you are my sister, so that I will be treated well for your sake, and my life will be spared because of you. 
So Abram seems pretty sure of what's going to go on here, doesn't he? He says that they, they will kill me because of you. He's, he's pretty positive about that. And that they'll let you live, you know, implying someone's going to steal, steal her for their own wife. And I, I think the writer has these two stories right next to each other for a reason. You know, we can look back just you know, five or six verses to see God making all these amazing unconditional promises to Abram, where he says, I will make you a great nation and I will bless you. I will make your name great and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you I will curse, and all the peoples of earth will be blessed through you. So God's basically said to Abram, you know, don't worry, I've got your back. Things are going to work out well for you. And he's, within a handful of verses, we've gone from God declaring all these promises to Abram, Abram being so sure he's going to starve if he stays where God tells him, and so sure that the Egyptians are going to kill him unless he lies to them. You see where we've come? It's... He's got two stories in his head that can't, that they, they both can't be true. Do you think if Abram didn't lie to the Egyptians that they would have killed him and stole his wife? Reckon God would have let that happen? It seems unlikely, doesn't it? If he's just promised these things that are definitely going to happen, it seems unlikely that a couple of you know, Egyptians are able to screw up God's plan. So he's got these two incompatible narratives going on in his life right now. That he will be blessed, that he will have kids, and will be made into a great nation. That's, that's God's story, what God's telling him. But apparently he's also going to starve if he stays where God's told him to stay. And he's also going to be killed if he doesn't lie to these Egyptians. So those two things cannot both be true. He's currently got no kids. So what God is saying cannot be true if he's about to die today from Egyptians or starving. We don't know if this happened right after he came to the land that God called him to or if it was years after. But regardless, the story is structured so that we as the reader can see the big picture and see those two things contrasted. We can remember the promise that God gave him because it was, you know, a few seconds ago that we read it. And all those blessings that would happen through Abram and his thing, but those, those haven't happened, so why should he be worried about dying if the God that said that those things would happen, they haven't occurred yet, so we shouldn't be worried about them being cut off and him dying yet. He, the plan is, he says, say you are my sister so that I will be treated well for your sake and my life will be spared because of you. Um, in that culture, if you met a woman that you fancied, your, your best bet is to get along with the dad. It was him who you would have to you know, negotiate with and find favour with. And if you wanted to marry, yeah, negotiate and pay, pay a dowry, come up with a plan. And if the father wasn't in the picture, then that responsibility of guardianship was then passed on to a brother. So he's saying, you know, Sarah, you're really pretty. People are going to kill you, kill me to get you. But if they think that I'm your brother, then I'm going to be treated well. Everyone's going to be sort of cozying up to me, giving me gifts, treating me really well. So it says that when he came to Egypt, the Egyptians saw that Sarah was very be- a very beautiful woman. And when Pharaoh's officials saw her, they praised her to Pharaoh, and she was taken into his palace. He treated Abram well for her sake, and Abram acquired sheep and cattle, male and female donkeys, male and female servants, and camels. So this is like a very fast summary of how this probably played out. I can imagine this kind of starting off a bit like a comedy movie. We've got this plan, tell them that you're my sister and, and I won't die patch the plan, and it, it turns out it actually goes better than that. It 
doesn't just keep him alive, but he all of a sudden all the all the fancy people, the most powerful person in Egypt, is, is treating him really well. Probably starting off with you know, invitations to all the fancy parties, giving him gifts. You, know, you can imagine Abram and Sarah thinking, you know, this isn't so bad. You know, we just hoped we wouldn't die, but you know, this is this is working out all right. They've pulled off the perfect plan. You know, lie to everyone, and we get to live this life of luxury. So, so they've left the land that God called them to without, in fear of starving, and now they've gone out on their own, and they're doing well. But eventually the Pharaoh makes an official move on Sarai. You know, this is where the story stops being funny. Um, it appears that he offered Abram a dowry payment for Sarai, as was the custom back then. You can imagine that look between Abram and Sarai. You know, what do we do? It's not a good situation. You know. Oh, sorry, Mr. Farrow, you know, she's actually my wife. We were, we were lying to you. Thanks for treating us so well, and thanks for all the gifts and the invitations and that kind of stuff. It would be an awkward situation, and it would also be a ter- terrifying situation. There are no good options here. And it seems that Abram let his fears get the best of him. An exchange is made. Sarah is taken into the Pharaoh's palace, and Abram gets given a whole bunch of stuff. Sheep, cattle, donkeys, servants, and camels. So you can imagine both Sarai and Abram would be you know, frozen in fear. They, they didn't plan for this. You know, we were too convincing. We just wanted to slip under the radar and avoid being killed. Now they find themselves in a situation with no hope. So here's Abram growing in wealth, but he's miserable. I'm, I'm assuming he's miserable. Um, you know, he's separated from his wife, and not only that, he's actually sold her to be someone else's wife. You know, I'm sure he'd be feeling sick, he'd be worrying about her, blaming himself. He would not at all be in a good state. And that promise of God was probably looking pretty distant now. You know, that he would have kids with Sarai, that he would be in this promised land, you know, that place that can't even support them. Again, there's those two different narratives, or the two different voices that are speaking into his life. There were the promises of God, and there were his fears and doubts that came from what he could see around him. And Abram gave more power to his fears than his faith. He left the promised land for fear of starving. He deceived the Egyptians and put his wife in danger for the fear of his own life. And all of this despite God specifically promising that many blessings were still yet to come. So yeah, at this point I bet Abram's got no hope that anything can change. There's nothing that they can do to get out of this. He's made a real mess of things. But the Lord inflicted serious diseases on Pharaoh and his household because of Abram's wife, Sarai. So Pharaoh summoned Abram. What have you done to me, he said? Why didn't you tell me she was your wife? Why did you say she is my sister so that I took her to be my wife? Now then, here is your wife. Take her and go. And the Pharaoh gave orders about Abram and his men and they sent him on his way with his wife and everything he had. So the situation of no hope, there's nothing these two could have done to get out of this, and we see God stepping in. From a human perspective, they had completely messed up God's plan. They're probably assuming that God's going to call someone else into that land, make someone else into a great nation, and be a blessing to the world. But that doesn't happen. God steps in and saves the day and cleans up his mess. God rescues them from the worst consequences of their own deceptions. You can imagine how stressful this would be if you're in their shoes, right? And I think that's an important lesson to Abram there, you know, telling him to quit his deceptions and to stop thinking about himself so much. 
he's, he's so sure of himself when he says, they will kill you, uh, they will kill me, and they will steal you. First of all, don't think so much about yourself. Think about your wife. Um, putting her at risk to save your own skin is not a great start. But it's also absolutely doubting the God who has, has said he's got his back. I think the key message to Abram here is about replacing his fear with faith. As I mentioned, I, I, I'm not convinced that anyone in Egypt would have actually killed him. It, it seems unlikely if God has promised that all these things are going to happen and they haven't. There's no sign of them yet. So one of those things can't be true. Either God's promises aren't true or the Egyptians won't kill him. I know what I'd put my money on. God said Abram was to be a blessing to the nations. Instead, he's actually been a curse to the Pharaoh and the Egyptians. And that's a big lesson to learn. I can imagine he'd be feeling pretty crappy at the moment. I certainly would be. But one of the key things in the life of Abram that we see is what he does with this lesson and more lessons to come. As we'll see, he goes on to persevere in his face and in his faith, and he doesn't dwell on his failings. And his wife doesn't dwell on his failing either. They own it and they learn from it and they move forward trying to live out the calling of God. And, and this is the same model of grace that we see over and over again. God approached Abram and said, I will bless you. I will do all these amazing things. Before he did anything at all, he didn't deserve any of those things. That's, that, that alone is incredible that God would bless the undeserving, but it gets crazier than that. Not only does he bless the undeserving, but when that same person goes out of his way to mess up God's plan, you know, to doubt God's goodness, to be more afraid of the world than trusting God. He puts himself first. He puts people in danger. He even sells his wife. That's, that's a big deal. So, so all those things that make you think, you know, if he didn't deserve God's blessing before, he definitely does it now. And how does God respond? That nothing's changed. God says, I said I would bless you, not because you are great, but because of what I have done. And probably the most surprising part of this story, I reckon, is actually Sarai. You know, she's an incredible woman. The expected reaction after walking out of Egypt, you know, you'd expect her to say, you know, I'm out of here. Abram, you screwed up. You, you put me in danger, and then you actually sold me, you know, to be someone else's wife, to save your own skin. And you also profited off it, you, you know. He was made rich because of that, and Pharaoh kicked him out and said, go take all your stuff, I don't even want to see you. Just, he didn't even, they didn't even swap back and take the, the animals and the servants for the wife again. He just said, get out of here. But what we see is that, we do, that she walks out with Abram by his side. I imagine her faith in God and the promises that God, and the promises God had made to them is what kept that marriage together. She too was holding on to that promise that God had plans for them. You know, and it's hard to get a feeling for the humanity of them when we read these really brief, you skim through the bullet points, that's what we're given. But there would be so much more that goes on within that. This would have been a brutal experience for any couple. And I don't think that marriage would have been easy at all after that. So Abram went up from Egypt to the Negev with his wife and everything he had, and Lot went with him. Abram had become very wealthy in livestock and in silver and gold. There's, there's an image of repentance in this journey. He actually ends up in, in the Negev. He ends up where he left 
at the end of chapter 12 where Sarah left us. So he's back where God called him to. He's back to the altar, back again calling on the name of the Lord. He's gone sort of full circle and come back to where he's meant to be, trusting in God. And I want to quickly skim through chapter 14 and I'm going to skip out lots and I'm going to completely butcher it. So go home and read it for yourselves. And we're just going to skim over a couple of things. It's helpful to, to unpack that compared to what we've just unpacked now. It's again, they're, they're written back to back for our benefit that we can see what we know of this Abram that we've just read, this guy that's, you know, he's put himself first. He, he doubts God's promises. Now when we read chapter 14, we can compare this character that we've just learned a bit more about. Is he going to follow this trend or what's going to happen? So they're back in the land of Canaan where God called them to go. And it says, now Lot, so that this is his nephew. Lot was moving about with Abram. He also had flocks and herds and tents, but the land could not support them while they stayed together, for their possessions were so great that they were not able to stay together. And quarrelling arose between Abram's herders and Lot's. So the problem here, that they're back in the land that God's called them to go. This is where they should be, and it's not working out. That the land can't support them all. They've got too much stuff. Their possessions were too great, it says. They were not able to stay together. So too many animals, too many mouths to feed. They're probably thinking, you know, if only we stayed in Egypt, or maybe his original hometown, which was further, further north by the Euphrates River. Both of those places were much better off to survive. They're a lot greener, there's a lot more going on. They're definitely likely to be doubting God's promises and this God's choice of land that he said to come here. And it's, it's not ideal. And, and this story, as I mentioned, follows right after what happened in Egypt. So again, the writers are hoping that we're going to remember what happened. So we know a bit about the characters, and now we read of this tense situation that's brewing. How will this guy, Abram, react? That same guy who put himself first and doubted God, who was overcome by fear and not faith, who chose the way of deception instead of truth, self-preservation instead of protecting others. So I wonder what that guy's going to do here. And we read that Abram said to Lot, let's not have any quarrelling between you and me or between your herders and mine, for we are close relatives. It is, is not the whole land before you. Let's part company. If you go to the left, I'll go to the right. If you go to the right, I'll go to the left. So this is, this is out of character from the Abram that we know. They're living here in a patriarchal society where age is superiority. For him to just say to his nephew, you choose, I'll, I'll take whatever you don't want. That, that alone is unusual. The, the right approach would have been for Abram, for, well, the fact that Lot actually took up that offer says a lot about Lot as well. The correct response from Lot would have been, you know, you're the elder, you're my uncle who's raised me and looked after me. You take your pick. If you leave me with a dusty paddock, that's, that's all I deserve. That, that was the, the way of thinking back then. Instead, Abram gives him the choice. So Abram had three things, and he realised that they're all fighting for priority. He had his relationship to God, his relationship to Lot, and a relationship to his wealth or his possessions. And he realised he couldn't have it all. So his options might have been, you know, he could have said to Lot, let's move out of here to where there's space for both of us, you know. We can stay together. But by that, you're abandoning the call of God when God's told him specifically to be in this place. He also could have said to Lot, 
I'm the boss, I'm taking all the green bits, you can have the dusty, muddy things. And that, that would, would have kept his priorities with staying where God called him, still being wealthy and well looked after, but obviously damaging his relationship with his family. And the option he's chose for is that he's choosing to keep his relationship with God and with Lot, but he's putting himself at risk financially and trusting God in the process. He's saying, Lot, you take what you want. If you take all the green bits and leave me with the dust, God said he'll look after me. So he's got his priorities right in this part. Love the Lord your God, love others, (coughs) money, wealth, possessions, well down on the list. And the call of God does ask us to change our foundations, to stop finding our security in our our things and in our wealth. It says that Lot looked around and saw that the whole plain of Jordan towards Zoar was well watered like the garden of the Lord, like the land of Egypt. So Lot chose for himself the whole plain of Jordan and set out towards the east. The two men parted company. Abram lived in the land of Canaan, while Lot lived among the cities of the plain and pitched his tent near Sodom. Now the people of Sodom were wicked and were sinning greatly against the Lord. So Lot chose the option that looked good. It's green, it's got cities, it's people, it can provide for me and it's safe. I don't know if that area is greener, was greener back then than it is now. Um, If you look at the land, I'd probably rate that a 3 out of 10. But the the part that Abram got left with was a 1 out of 10 being generous. Abram got left with some very rugged land to try and survive, but that was the place where God called him to be. Hello. And we can see Abram's ambition compared to Lot's. Lot put his business and his wealth as top priority, to get rich above the promises of God and above the relationship with his family. And there's a couple of little interesting things that you find when you compare what's said about Abram and what's said about Lot in these three chapters. So I'm just going to pick out a couple of words. So it says things like, Abram called on the name of the Lord. But whenever it talks about Lot, it just says Lot who was moving about with Abram. That says quite a lot in itself, doesn't it? And When Abram gave Lot the choice of what land he wanted, it says that Lot looked around and saw what looked good that it looked like the garden of the Lord and like the land of Egypt. It's probably a bit of an over-exaggeration to say it looked like the garden of the Lord, you know, the garden of Eden. Maybe it was. It's probably not quite that green. But what he's doing is he's, he's, it's showing that Lot saw with his eyes and looked, looked out at the world and saw what it had to offer. And he's, that he's wanting the garden of the Lord without the Lord. He's walking outside of the region that God's told him to. But it's what looks, it looks better. Lot looked out and saw the good stuff, what the world had to offer. That call of God to Abram was probably sounding a bit like a joke. Here's the promised land, and now that you've had this fallout with your nephew, you get the worst parts of it. It's not as good as the green part next door. And this is going to be yours for you and your descendants forever. But he's, he's still got no descendants at this point, and his wife still can't have kids. So those promises of God are still, there's a lot of faith in there, isn't it? It's, it's sounding kind of, it's sounding very empty. And previously we saw Abram failing to trust the call of God. He leaves this place where God tells him to stay and he fails to look after his wife, puts her at risk, fails to be a blessing to his neighbour. 
the real sign of faith is resting in the grace of God, being able to move on in your own failures, accepting the grace that the grace of God requires you to admit that there is something wrong with you. You don't need grace if you're an amazing human. Abram seems to have come to that place that he's resting not on his own understanding. The ambition of Abram ends up in a pretty good place, and we'll unpack this more over the next few weeks. I don't want to give away too many spoilers, but it turns out that as he does follow the call of God, those promises eventually do come true. But the ambition of Lot, that's quite a different story. It seems that he's, you know, he's not following the, the religion of his uncle. He was just sort of tagging along, is how it's described. He sees what the world has to offer, put his business and his wealth above the relationship with God and family. And in chapter, in chapter 13, it said that he pitched his tent near Sodom. And it makes special mention that the people there were wicked and sinning greatly against the Lord. I don't know why you'd want to camp anywhere near that. But that's what he saw again, green and people. That's, that's security. This is self-sustainable. And then as we get to chapter 14, it says that he's actually living in the city of Sodom. So he's no longer camping outside it. He's become a part of it. So he's, he's turned his eyes to what the world has to offer. He's moved closer, and now he's completely a part of it. And th- yeah, there's too many interesting rabbit holes in chapter 14, so read it and, and see what you find. But the, the short story here is that there ends up being a war in the region. There's four kings versus five kings. And in the process, the city of Sodom gets attacked, and Lot gets taken captive. And eventually, Abram finds out and goes to rescue him with his army of 318 men. And it doesn't say how big the other army is, but I'm assuming it was probably bigger than that if it was an alliance of four kings. It says each king was a city, so it's, it's probably more like you know warlords than big nations. But yeah, I suspect he was, the odds were against him. It says that he attacks at night and the enemy army flees, leaving behind Lot and the other prisoners and all their possessions. And the allied kings offer Abram a reward to say thank you. However, he refuses and says... With raised hand, I have sworn an oath to the Lord, God Most High, Creator of heaven and earth, that I will accept nothing belonging to you, not even a thread or the strap of a sandal, so that you will never be able to say, I made Abram rich. So we, we can see here he's got quite a different attitude to possessions and status. You know, he wants everyone to know that it's God who blesses him, not kings or rulers. And, and right off the bat, the first thing he responds when this king talks to him is he, he brings God into the picture. And he's saying that I'm not going to accept any reward. I, don't, I didn't do this for the money. He's profited off bad situations before and he doesn't want that reputation. So within just you know a couple of chapters, we see Abram growing quite a lot, don't we? Um, last week, Sarah left us with a question which I thought was a really good note to end on. She was asking us, you know, have you responded to the call of God? And to expand on that a bit further, um, maybe you have responded to that call but we often find ourselves in very different situations at different points in our life. And there's, there's three characters that we're seeing here with some really important lessons that we can draw on. Are you acting out of fear or faith? You know, maybe like Abram at the beginning of the story, you're finding yourself paying more attention to your fears rather than your faith. Or again, like Abram, are you needing to return to your previous place of resting and calling on God. 
Or maybe you're in a situation like Sarai, who I think is you know, the most inspiring human in this story, who extended grace to her husband, who definitely did not deserve it. Do you need to forgive and help someone else return to God? Well, lastly, as we saw in the differences between Lot and Abram, have you let God reshape your priorities? When you can't have it all, is it God, then family, then things? Or is it things, then people, then God? Let's close in prayer. Lord, thank you for the way that you shape us and you teach us. Thank you that you don't abandon us when we screw up. Pray that you would remind us to return to you and to rest in, in you and in the calling and the places that you have us to go. We thank you for all the blessings that you give us that are undeserved and we thank you that you don't take them away when we still deserve them even less. Amen.